0: Hey there, welcome into another episode of The Lion's Edge by BetMGM. I'm your host, Chase Kitty, web content writer and odds analyst on the BetMGM blog staff. Really great episode for you here today. I'm going to walk you through my week three picks. We're coming off of a really successful last weekend of betting. We were profitable in college football, we were profitable in the NFL, and today I'm going to walk you through a new slate of picks. We're also going to chat with my co-workers, Sam Herder and Colton Poole, FCS masterminds, G5 aficionados, one and all, over at Hero Sports, which is now a BetMGM property. If you've listened to the show for a long time, you know about my history with Hero Sports. You've heard Sam talk before, you've heard Colton talk before, so no new voices on the podcast today, but we're, we're going to do a little catch-up. I'm going to ask Sam a couple of FCS questions. Uh, build out some of that background for those of you that kind of are you know, curious about the FCS, but don't really necessarily follow it week to week, give you a little bit of a baseline on what to expect this, this year, uh, so you know a little bit of something when the playoffs come in November, and then we're also going to talk specific matchups. I really like some FCS games on the calendar this week, and most of them we're not going to know lines until Saturday, you guys know what the deal is there, but... I really, I I have them tabbed, I I have have them circled, I am waiting for the Lions to drop on Saturday, because there are some really juicy matchups where I know the FCS team is going to cover. Of course, you can never know, but you guys know what I'm saying. I feel really good about some FCS sides. Colton, he's going to chip in some, some G5 thoughts as well, we'll talk a little Texas State, all three of us, we'll highlight a couple of other maybe G5 opportunities, so that's coming later in the show. Uh, of course, we're going to start here, as we always do, with some picks, some leans. I've got a third category today, so we'll, we'll get into all of it. Here we go. Picks for college football week three. Pick number one. Florida State is a minus 25 and a half favorite at Boston College. So this is a number that's kind of in no man's land in the mid-20s. You're bef- like clearly between 24 and 27, 28. Uh, I'm going to lay it with Florida State. Florida State is just way better than Boston College, right? They beat LSU in Week 1, 45-24. 66-13 last week against Southern Miss. Boston College lost to Northern Illinois Week 1. I thought they got outplayed by Holy Cross last week. Easy cover, by the way. Go Crusaders. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about when I say I I don't know what an FCS number is, but I know I'm going to be on the FCS side. Perfect example of what I'm talking about. Easy cover last week from Holy Cross. This FSU-Boston College game... This is the sort of don't-make-it-too-complicated bet you've got to be able to pull the trigger on in college football. Laying 25 is not great in the NFL. In college, it's fine if you're in the right circumstance, and I think Florida State is the right circumstance. They're just better. They're super experienced. They're a veteran team. This is a business trip up to Boston. Bring your own energy because it's a noon kickoff in Chestnut Hill. The stadium's going to be empty. I think this is over at halftime. Florida State rolls. Number two, let's get a little more weird. You guys know I like the weird stuff on this podcast, and I've definitely got some this week. Georgia Southern plus 19.5 at Wisconsin. I love this bet. It's probably my favorite one of the whole week. Clay Helton's Georgia Southern squad is just quietly playing well, not grabbing much attention, Other Sunbelt teams get the headlines. Your App States, your JMUs. We've talked about Texas State, South Alabama. Let's let those teams gather all the attention. Georgia Southern, quietly, very good, powerful offense. Good win against UAB last week. Wisconsin expected to come home after the Washington State loss, lick its wounds, and then put away another G5 team just like it did in Week 1. But Buffalo is far from the team that Georgia Southern is. And even then, Wisconsin would barely have covered this 19.5 number against Buffalo in the 38-17 win. This number just doesn't respect how good Georgia Southern is. 19.5 points, no way. I actually think there's a world where Georgia Southern money line comes home. So I'd even think about putting a little bit on the plus 650 because I think Georgia Southern is being Way, way undervalued here. Best bet of the week, in my opinion. Uh, let's go to game number three. Pop quiz. Who knows who Biff Poggy is? Biff Poggy? Big Pog, Biff Poggy? I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name. He's a former hedge fund investor who was involved in some pretty cool philanthropic projects in Baltimore. A place that's near and dear to my heart. Now he's a football coach. He's the head coach of the Charlotte 49ers. Interesting guy, interesting background. Anyway, I bring him up because Charlotte is hosting Georgia State this weekend. They are a seven and a half point dog. And the assumption from everyone, including me until about 24 hours ago, was that Charlotte is still irrelevant. I'm not so sure about that. Charlotte played a pretty good game at Maryland last week. They were actually up double digits in the first half. They led Maryland at halftime. Georgia State... A little bit less impressive, one score win over Rhode Island. Go Rams, love the color scheme. Last week's win over UConn, who cares? Charlotte has really showed me something here these first couple weeks, and I think this might actually be a spot to grab the points and the money line with a team that no one has really locked onto yet. And for what it's worth, Charlotte sucked last year, and they still beat Georgia State, and that game was on the road in Atlanta. Really like Charlotte here as a home dog. And I would add in the money line at plus 240. Game number four is New Mexico, New Mexico State. The line says these teams are both bad and about equally bad, all things considered. It's New Mexico minus one and a half right now, and they're playing at home, so that kind of tells you everything you need to know. I'm not really sure I agree with that. You never want to overreact to week zero games, but New Mexico State lost to UMass, and that's pretty bad, man. And I've watched UMass, too, since then to see if, if you know, UMass got better. Not really. They lost by double digits last week at home to Miami, Ohio. They got bludgeoned by Auburn. Didn't really show anything in that game. I don't want to hold an SEC loss against them. But, you know, if you think if you're better, you'd show something. You'd show some moment. I haven't seen anything from them. So New Mexico minus one and a half is the number. They're at home. I, I just think the market's too soft here. Uh, Or or else maybe the market's a little bullish on New Mexico State, one or the other, maybe both. But ahead of the season, this number made sense to me based on all the preview work I'd done, that New Mexico State was going to be the better team. Now, week three, this doesn't square with the 2023 data we actually have. New Mexico has eight starters back on offense. Last week, they did exactly what I want to see a G5 team do against a bad FCS school like Tennessee Tech. They dominated them. The market, I think, is just wrong on this game. I would make it more like New Mexico minus four, and that's a pretty big difference when you think about you know, the differences between being under three and being at four. One and a half is pretty close to a pick em. Four, that's a real advantage you have to lay. So big difference, pretty critical two and a half points there. I like New Mexico minus the point and a half or the money line, whatever you like, but I think New Mexico is the right side here. If, uh, if you're already annoyed with how far into the drudges of college football I've gone, let's bring it back to a Power 5 matchup here to close out the five official plays. This is Minnesota plus 7.5 at North Carolina. Uh, recording this Tuesday afternoon, and it is 7.5 Minnesota. I am fading North Carolina again this week. I told you last week there was too much E&E, exposure and eyeballs on that North Carolina-South Carolina game in week one, partially because of college game day. South Carolina had negative two rushing yards on the game. North Carolina's defense might be better, but they're not that good. App State was obviously the right side last week. They're getting way too many points for a P5-G5, big brother-little brother kind of game. And now the market wants to give a good, so far undefeated P.J. Fleck Minnesota team a touchdown plus the hook in a road game in Chapel Hill, which, again, it just seems a bit rich for the UNC side. It's why we liked App State last week. It's why I kind of lean Minnesota here in this game. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play defense. That likely means this is a competitive game. App State played North Carolina inside of a touchdown last week, and I believe Minnesota will too. They might not have the, you know, we want to knock down big brother kind of angle, but they do have better players and probably a better coaching staff, and they're just generally better. So maybe that makes up for the difference there. The money line here is plus 225. I don't feel as strongly about it as some other options this week, but it is probably worth a flyer. And that rounds out your five official picks. Florida State minus 25.5. Georgia Southern plus 19.5. Charlotte plus 7.5. Minnesota plus 7.5. And New Mexico minus 1.5. Now, normally right here is where I go to the leans. But I have kind of a middle category this week that I had to make because there are these three road favorites that I didn't think were worthy of being official plays, but are definitely bets I'm going to make and are bets I feel pretty good about, and I didn't want to just slap the lean tag on them. So these are bets I still would recommend. They're just not going to be counted as official plays when I tally it all up. Of course that means they'll be 3-0 because, of of course, that's what it means. Uh, Number one is Alabama minus 32.5 at South Florida. Classic Saban bounce back. Why is Alabama even playing South Florida, you might ask? Well, USF plays in Raymond James, which is where the Buccaneers play. So Saban gets his guys in an NFL stadium, gets to roll an irrelevant G5 cupcake while he's at it. Pretty good 1-2 combo because we know how. Generally speaking, the SEC likes to schedule. I went back and looked at some recent comps for what happens with Alabama the week after a loss. Last year, after losing to Tennessee, they played number 24, Mississippi State, as a 21-point favorite. Alabama won and covered 30-6. to 2021, after losing at Texas A&M, they went back on the road and played Mississippi State yet again. Uh, and they won and covered in that spot as a 17 point road favorite, 49 to 9, not even competitive. 2019, after they lost to Joe Burrow's LSU team, Alabama went on the road to Mississippi State. Wow, odd coincidence. Uh, anyway, they were 18 point favorites. They won 38 to 7. Now, Alabama doesn't have the offensive firepower this year that it had in any of those seasons. But I do think they can roll up five or six touchdowns primarily on the ground and hold USF to a small number here. So I do really like laying this number even though it's north of 30. By the way, uh, total asterisk here, not really relevant to the handicap, but just in case you're curious with all those weird Mississippi State week before losses, uh, just in case you're curious, they play Mississippi State week five this year. Uh, which means if, if you're following the scheduled loss theory, who do they play before Mississippi State on September 30th? Well, that would be their game next week, and that would be Ole Miss in Tuscaloosa. I don't know. It might be worth a thought. Le- hard lean. I don't know. What are we calling this? Hard leans. Really good leans. Not quite official plays. Not quite official play number two. Kansas State minus five and a half at Missouri. I just think this is kind of disrespectful to Kansas State. I mean, they're way better than Missouri. Why is this number five and a half? Because Missouri's got SEC speed or something, and Kansas State is Kansas State. Like, this is just stupid. One of these teams is way better. Kansas State has a way better coaching staff. They're they're just good. Their style of play travels. They run the ball. They play action. They play good defense. This is less than six. I mean, not much of a cap here, but this just seems soft. Maybe I will eat it when Missouri backdoors into a four-point loss, but Kansas State's cover rate is ridiculous. I linked to that uh, most underrated college football articles that I wrote this summer in last week's college football betting episode. I will link to it again in the show notes. This week, Kansas State's like the number one most underrated college football betting spot the last five or six years. It's not even close. They're just every week consistently undervalued, and it feels like it's that way again this week. So I'll go ahead and take Kansas State, minus 5.5. Might be square. I don't care. Not quite official play. Number three is Iowa State at Ohio. Another Big 12 road favorite. This was minus 2.5 when I started taking notes, and I was down to Iowa State 3 by the time I recorded. I just think the market on Iowa State is kind of soft because of the scandal. the the market thinks this team isn't that good. There's drama at quarterback. And so, you know, of course they have to be compromised in some way. And, and, you know, in some way, I guess that's true, but I I think it's, it's kind of overcorrected. If this was a big 12 road game, I would kind of understand having a soft number here, but it's Ohio, not Ohio state, it's Ohio. And, And I don't, I don't know how good Ohio actually is. They've got a one-score win over Florida Atlantic. They've got a one-score loss to San Diego State. An SCS win that doesn't mean much. I mean, okay. You're ready to take down a P5 team now that's got a pretty good track record these past few years. they got a good head coach. They have a philosophy that they know how to execute and recruit for and this this just seems a little too cute on the market side similar to that Northern Iowa line for from week one that admittedly I bit down hard on I just think Iowa State has some juice here so I'm happy to lay the three. those are your three not quite official plays all road favorites Alabama 32 and a half at South Florida Kansas State five and a half at Missouri Iowa State minus three at Ohio. Now, here are your leans, games I kind of like just giving you some thoughts, giving you some looks. Maybe if you were already looking at this game too, and I like it, then maybe you put those two thoughts together, and it becomes a play for you. As of right now, these aren't necessarily going to be plays for me, but there are sides that I kind of like. Memphis minus 14.5 against Navy. Uh, I just think Navy has a long way to go. Uh, New coach, a lot of turnover on the roster. Memphis is going to score a lot of points. Uh, so, so covering a number like fourteen and a half is not going to be a problem. If you're looking for a little weeknight action, maybe you look here. Other weeknight game to consider, I think, is UVA plus fourteen and a half. A lot of you guys know I went to the UVA JMU game in Charlottesville last weekend, so I got a pretty good look at Anthony Colindrea over the weekend, and I think he's probably the future of quarterback for UVA. He's got some real talent. He he's he's a gamer. Like when he's on the field, he makes plays. Um, he's raw. I, I think he makes bad throws sometimes, but I mean, I think that's probably true for most freshmen, so I don't know how much of a real criticism that is. It's just kind of table stakes. I think UVA becomes a much more interesting dog to bet if they have a quarterback. Um, I, I think after the 0-2 start, UVA is going to be a real sell in the betting market, which means they're going to s- start seeing some fat point spreads against even middle-class teams. It's one thing when you're a big dog to to an SEC team like Tennessee. It's one thing when you are, you know, catching a touchdown against a trendy G5 team like JMU, but if you're if you're getting two touchdowns and the hook against Maryland on a weeknight no less where weird stuff happens and the back door is always open. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think UVA becomes a little bit more interesting here. So I would think about it. I would definitely think about it, not saying I would definitely bet it either. Another lean, Notre Dame is playing Central Michigan, but it is a hard sandwich spot. Uh, Notre Dame's certainly five touchdowns better than Central Michigan, which which had to hold on last week against New Hampshire. Needed a walk-off field goal against an FCS school to win. So the team gap here is not exactly the problem. The problem is that Notre Dame plays Ohio State next week. So do you really want to lay 30-plus in the most obvious look-ahead spot in the world? It's a lean. It's not an official play. South Carolina plus 27.5 at Georgia. So if we think North Carolina is overrated because of week one, it does stand to reason that maybe South Carolina is a tad bit underrated. I think Shane Beamer's game plan for that game was just garbage. Spencer Rattler had a typical bad Spencer Rattler day at the office. I imagine we will see a better product this weekend against Georgia, who hasn't played anybody yet this year this team is laying 27 and a half in september in a conference game and all we have to go on are wins over ut martin and ball state this is a south carolina or pass spot you don't have to take the points with south carolina but you should not be laying it with georgia there's only one side of this game that's worth considering all right brace yourself it's time to get maniacal West Virginia money line versus Pitt. I'm not making this an official play because I don't want to subject anyone to any potential bias of mine in this spot. But as I've said many times before, I generally have pretty good radar on my teams. And I kind of think I'm going to smash West Virginia this weekend. Uh, I I was shocked that Pitt lost to Cincinnati last week. Like, shocked. Narduzzi does give you a total dud every 10 or 15 games. But Pitt has generally been... Pretty good with him at the helm. And I don't think much of Cincinnati, as I have made clear over the last several weeks. So this this was kind of an eye-opening loss to me. This, this along with how I've already been thinking about West Virginia in a more positive light than a lot of people, really made me think, yeah, this is a bet. This is definitely a bet for, for Week 3. West Virginia showed me exactly what I wanted to see against Duquesne last week. Handled business. Offensive line has looked great through two games. Garrett Green is going to be Okay. He's going to make some plays. He's going to absolutely shit the bed a couple times. Uh, Hudson Clement was a walk-on from Martinsburg High School who dominated against Duquesne so hard they had to put him on scholarship immediately after the game. The real factor here, I think, is the environment. Holy shit, you guys. This game hasn't been played in Morgantown since 2011, and I'm telling you, Milan Puskar is going to be freaking nuts. People are going to get thrown out. They're going to run out of beer in the second quarter, which almost never happens in Morgantown. I will not be shocked if they break the attendance record, which I believe is around 70,000. It's some game in the 90s. Uh, For the record, the stadium capacity is about 62,000. I feel very strongly that West Virginia is going to win this game. So give me plus 100 on the money line. Probably going to take a shot uh, with an alt as well, like a like a minus six or a minus seven. Uh, I, I even think there's a chance that West Virginia comes out and like really smashes them. Um, I, I just I just have that feeling, and I could be totally wrong. Like I could be totally wrong about any game, but there's a difference I think between when I'm really excited for a game as a fan, like last week. I was really excited for the JMU-UVA game because of the potential of shutting up a bunch of really snotty UVA fans, both those who are in my life and those who are just kind of around the internet that I you know, that I interact with in passing. Um, but I told you on the podcast last week, as excited as I was for that game, if I'm betting the game, I would probably take the points with UVA. So I, I generally can do a pretty good job separating those two things. I am very excited for this game, but I also really think West Virginia is going to win. I really, really feel that way. And I again, I think there is a world where they actually come out and, and beat the tar out of pit. Um, and just like the roof blows off the place. So I think that's in play. I think some alts are, are not a bad idea here if you want to totally drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, but I, I'm definitely going to have multiple West Virginia positions this weekend. Last couple here, uh, Syracuse minus two and a half. I just talked about the West Virginia game for like five or six minutes. I'm going to talk about this Syracuse Purdue game for all of eight seconds. It's not much of a handicap. Syracuse is better than Purdue. So I'm going to lay two and a half with Syracuse. That's it. That's the tweet. Last lean, South Alabama first half plus four and a half at Oklahoma State. I kind of worked this one up with my buddy Philip Slavin over at 1012 Network. Uh, he's an Oklahoma State guy, as, as many of you probably know. I kind of liked the idea of South Alabama plus seven and a half, which is where the line was on Tuesday when Phillip and I talked. Phillip feels like Oklahoma State plays really strong second halves. And obviously, South Alabama has not been living up to expectations so far this season, at least according to how many of us felt in the offseason, like they they were a really strong G5 team, maybe even a, a New Year's Six candidate. So I feel like the best way to cut all of those thoughts up is to look to the first half number which is four and a half and you know that's a nice number uh getting the four and a half decent road team i think so yeah i cooked this up with philip it's going to go down as a lean as far as the podcast is concerned but to be clear this is a bet i have already made and so it's a lean i already have money down on all right enough of that let's get with sam and colton uh, of course, my coworkers over at Hero Sports, they've got some cool insight into the FCS and G5 market, and we're going to add their voices to this episode, as there has already been a lot of rich G5 handicapping. We'll throw a couple more voices into the pot. Here's my conversation from Tuesday with Sam and Colton. now by old friends of the show sam herder and colton pool i asked them for titles i was told sam is the fcs mastermind and colton is the g5 aficionado which colton you came up with those names that's honestly kind of a
1: diss to yourself i feel like aficionado <laughs> is several steps down from mastermind well i am several di- steps down from sam so i got a, i got a ways to go This is
0: definitely, we'll get research to check this, but I'm pretty sure the first time I've ever been outnumbered by North Dakota State graduates on this podcast. (laughs) So we'll keep this segment brief and never do it again. Deal. Sam, I I reached out to you guys because I really like several spots this weekend. FCS games, some G5 spots are really interesting. So I wanted to get your all's take on it. I think the first place we should go is just, for those not as locked into FCS football as you, Sam, what is the two or three minute outlook from the Dakotas? What does FCS look like? What do people that are not necessarily locked in need to know about the landscape of FCS football this year?
2: Yeah, I guess to to sum it up, uh, the the FCS landscape is very Midwest focused right now, uh, as far as where the power lies. Uh, everyone knows that North Dakota State has been the power, uh, but South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits have, have overtaken the Bison uh, last year, beating up on the Bison in last year's national title game. And so now it's kind of South Dakota State's subdivision, and it's it's more so the Jacks versus the field. Uh, but NDSU is still the top contender. Montana State is still the top uh, contender. And outside of that, it kind of seems to be a gap between the top three teams and everyone else. Um, and I know a lot of FBS fans, they always find it interesting when looking at the FCS that they, you know, they're probably used to the powers that be being in the Southeast. But in the FCS, it's it's the Dakotas, it's the Montanas that kind of are, are running the show in the FCS.
0: JMU moves up, Jacksonville State moves up, Sam Houston moves up. Is it as clear to you as it would be to maybe logical average fan that there's a bit, there's even more of a power vacuum than there used to be. It's it's just the gap is so far between the top one percent of FCS and everybody else.
2: Yeah, I think all that there there's always been a gap, uh, you know, at, at the top of the FCS for as long as I've been covering it, which is you know going back to 2011. There's always been a, you know a, a, usually a pretty big divide at the top, but when you lose, uh, you know, more traditionally powerful programs uh, like that, that does create. Um, and even higher divide from the top teams to maybe even those those second tier teams. Uh, you know that teams have 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 left the FCS and gone to the FBS uh, for for many many years. You know it's nothing new. At yeah. at one point, Boise State and Marshall left, and they were replaced by Division two teams like North Dakota State and South Dakota State. You know that probably didn't seem like it even even trade at the time. Uh, but you know things just shake out, and so we're we're still kind of waiting on uh, you know more Southern FCS teams to kind of step up and take on the role of a Jacksonville State and a Sam Houston. Uh, But at the same time, you know, Sam Houston won the national title in the spring. Uh, Jacksonville State made one run in the mid-teens. But other than that, those two teams weren't really you know, vying for a national title. Uh, James Madison was kind of the peer of North Dakota State. Now that they've left, South Dakota State has kind of taken uh, that role. But, you know, overall, there has been, you know, multiple more Southern based FCS teams that have gone on to the FBS. Uh, but I can't remember who, but a big sky coach was asked about that. And he said, well, if you look at the last five semifinals, most of those teams have been in the big sky in the valley. And all of those teams are still in. The FCS, and so you know, again, for me, someone that covers the FCS nationally, I would like to see, you know, an East Coast team take the place of James Madison, or have a Southern team that can consistently make a run to the title game, just so we don't have the same three teams—Montana State, North Dakota State, and South Dakota State—in the semifinals every year. But as of right now, it kind of seems like that's those are the three teams we're going to be seeing every year, with you know, one more team, whoever that may be, you know, mixing in every year.
0: Yeah, it's not as weird as is. As... FBS fans sometimes make it out to be just because I I wrote a column once called as it is in the FBS. So it shall be in the FCS. And it's, I mean, it's the same three or four teams in FBS too. So it's like resources always kind of accumulate toward the top and and it's never evenly distributed. So I I don't think it's as uncommon as maybe some people would make it out to be. I want to have a conversation about Texas state real fast, which is, I think where all three of us kind of convene in this conversation. Colton, the, the first couple weeks I've been, Fascinated by how quickly the offense has taken shape at Texas State under GJ Kinney, I have every show I have been on the last couple weeks. I've been talking about Kinney, about the Incarnate Ward offense that is now in the Sun Belt, about winning the Walter Payton Award, and then you have to explain what the Walter Payton Award is to people because they don't know. Could could you? I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Sam in a second, but Colton, could you contextualize for me? what you think is going on at Texas state, how seriously they should be taken in the Sun Belt? They were 80 to one to win that conference before the season started. And with some of the assumed top contenders, maybe not looking as good, it feels like Texas state could at least be relevant, even if they're not necessarily one of the two or three favorites.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think Texas state should be a, ta- a team to be taken seriously, especially in the Sun Belt. as I mean, they proved it right away in that win over Baylor and, it wasn't just a win. It was a pretty convincing win over Baylor. So to do, do that so quickly, you know, you'd know, you think things would take a little bit of time. You, you'd adjust to a coach's culture, his style, his playbook so to beat Baylor right away like that. I think that tells you all you need to know. And and also, you know, they're coming off a loss now against UTSA, but One, UTSA is a really good G5 team. And also that was by a single possession 20 to 13 at UTSA, no less. So the the way that they were able to kind of implement things so quickly and and adjust to the new coaching staff, I I think that tells you all you need to know about Texas State moving forward.
0: And the way they they use the transfer portal, too. I mean, it was very much in the Deion Sanders Colorado mold of I'm going to bring a massive amount of people in here. And we're, we're going to hit on some, we're going to miss on some, but we're going to overnight change the fortunes, potentially, of this program. Sam, what's the Incarnate Word side of this? When you look at Kenny's background before 2023, Incarnate Word didn't have a terrible amount of successful history at the FCS level. And then they just kind of exploded onto the scene with this really powerful offense that I think a lot of people maybe historically versed in, in what works and what doesn't work in the FCS playoffs watched Incarnate Word's regular season successes and said, well, that's not necessarily going to work in the playoffs. And then they did have a reasonable amount of success in the playoffs with this system. So I, I, when, I, when I try to project forward for Texas State, I'm trying to think, too, about what happened in Incarnate Word. Could you add a little color there for people that aren't locked into FCS Texas football?
2: Yeah, and when I mentioned about you know a Southern team stepping up to being that national title contender, a legit title contender, a lot of us now are looking at UIW. Uh, you know, UIW really should have gone to the Fargo Dome and beaten NDSU, uh, if not for kind of a, a second half collapse there. Uh, but the thing with UIW is is program stability because they've lost two head coaches. Uh, to the FBS and two All-American quarterbacks in back-to-back years. Uh, A couple of years ago, it was Eric Morris and... um Cameron Ward going to Washington Washington State, and then G.J. Kinney comes in as UIW's head coach. Last year, he brings in a Nichols transfer, uh, Lindsey Scott Jr., who goes on to win the Walter Payton Award. Uh, they get even better. Uh, Kinney's name is, you know, the, the hot thing in college football, and he gets hired away to the FBS. Um, Lindsey Scott Jr., he graduates, um, and so UIW has to, you know, hire within, you know, uh, uh, to get uh, Coach Killough, uh on on board there to be uh, the head coach. And so there's just a lot of turnover with UIW, uh, kind of similar to Jackson State. Uh, you know, you lose a head coach and a lot of guys enter the transfer portal. I um, mean, UIW lost, like, I want to say between 15 and 18 guys to the FBS uh, as far as transferring. Uh, and half of those guys left UIW for Texas State and followed G.J. Kenny to Texas State. And so you can't, it's hard to replace, you know, starters and all conference level guys with true freshmen. And so UIW had to dip into the transfer portal as well, and they brought in like 20, 20 plus FBS transfers. So there's just a lot of roster turnover there, not a ton of stability right now, but, you know, just with their trajectory, even with the head coaching changes, you, you would expect UIW to be, you know, consistently in the top 10
0: of the FCS going forward. But probably fair to say, incarnate words, roster losses and coaching losses are Texas State's gains.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I am going to continue to bet Texas State blind moving forward, pretty much. I mean, if the numbers were 14, 14 and a half last week was ridiculous. I want to talk a couple FCS sides here. I'm looking at the schedule for this weekend. We don't have lines out yet because that's just how it is. Sam and I talked about this a lot last year. We text about it sometimes this year. It's just. The lines aren't coming out till Saturday. There's nothing we can do about it. Just deal with it. You know, that's that's the way it is. That said, I'm looking at North Dakota, Boise State. I'm looking at Weber State, Utah in particular. That one is super tasty. Villanova UCF with John Reese Plumley now. It looks like he's gonna be sign for a few weeks. I know you're not really an odds guy, but when I see these matchups, I'm looking for an FCS side that's gonna be undervalued or an FBS side that's gonna be overvalued, preferably both. Do any of these games maybe raise an alert for you? If not, what's the one you are looking at that maybe you think is interesting? Yeah, that UND
2: Boise State one uh, is certainly interesting. Uh, UND has competed really well uh, against FBS opponents in, in the last few years. But like we usually see with a lot of these matchups, you, you know how many times have we seen a close game at halftime? Uh, You know, Charleston Southern, I'm I'm pretty sure, was tied with Clemson at halftime or was up. I can't remember what it was, but usually you see see really close games until, you know, halfway through the third quarter. Then, you know, the FBS team pulls away. Uh, But Boise State's defense with their struggles is going up going up against one of the hottest offenses in the FCS. And so that's that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, Idaho goes to Cal, uh, you know, very rarely do you see an FCS team favorite over the FBS? Uh, But last week we saw Idaho as a, I think they started out as a three and a half point favorite at Nevada. That went up to, uh, I think five and a half uh, point favorite for Idaho at, 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 kickoff.
0: Not, not to cut you off there, Sam. I just want to add, and this is a point I always reiterate for the podcast audience. FCS favorite over FBS is an automatic bet. Don't even think about it. If the FCS team is favored, you bet the FCS team, period.
2: And that that's sound advice because Idaho Idaho end up winning by like four four to five yeah. <laughs> scores there. So, um, but Idaho now goes to Cal, you know, and Cal is is not too strong, and so that could be you know another really close game. Uh, and also keep an eye on Sac State going to Stanford. Uh, you know, juicy matchup because. But Troy Taylor, now the head coach at Stanford, he's the one that uh, raised Sac State to such a high profile nationally in terms of the FCS. He's now at Stanford. Um, You know, Stanford's uh, okay, but I really like Sac State. Some FCS followers aren't as high on Sac State, but I still have them as a top 10 uh, FCS team. And I think they have the play in the trenches, which is – You know, most of the time that's going to be the difference maker. You know, athlete for athlete, an FCS team's best, you know, receiver can certainly be playing at that FBS team as well. Um, It's just usually the trenches is the difference here. And I think Sac State has to play in the trenches to to keep this one pretty close.
0: Yeah. and, And again, to emphasize, we don't know what the numbers are yet, but Sam and I have, have been looking at these and Colton. We got we got three FCS school graduates here, which is unusual for a podcast like this. We've been watching FCS football long enough to kind of spotlight the games ahead of time, even not knowing the numbers. Like, need to be on the lookout for that number. Need to be watching for that number to drop. I think what I saw was either 90 minutes or two hours before kickoff is when BetMGM is going to try to get those numbers out at absolute latest. Uh, that's what I read, so... Uh, it's just something to keep in mind for Saturday because some of these games sound really good. Colton, all the games that have been mentioned so far, the Sac State one that Sam had there at the end, the ones that I tabbed, uh, Villanova-UCF, Weber State-Utah, North Dakota-Boise, or anything else on your FCS board this weekend, what what draws your eye and which ones w- would you maybe be interested in?
1: Absolutely, Boise State-UND. I'm looking at that game. And I think... There's two sides of this, right? That UND's offense has been really good and Boise State's defense has been really bad. But Boise State has also been playing University of Washington and UCF. And I kind of wonder if there will be a bit of a course correction there, especially with the history of Boise State. And they did lose some really key defensive players last year. So this could just be what we're going to see for the rest of the season. In terms of their their defense allowing 549 yards and 37 points per game, I think bottom yeah five in the FBS right now in terms of yards allowed per game. So I am very curious to see how much, if at all, Boise State will be able to bounce back on that side of the ball going against a pretty solid UND FCS offense. And, and also how Boise State's offense, maybe they'll just be able to outscore everyone that they play in the Mountain West, and that'll just be the end of it, and they'll be able to compete with a, for a conference title there. But I, I, I think this UND game should be, on paper, a get-right game, but if it's not, Boise State's going to be in
2: for a really long season. One more, uh, Chase, if, if I can add it. Uh, keep an eye on uh, Jackson State going to Texas State. Uh, we we talked, we already talked about Texas State and a little bit of JSU as well. This is one in the preseason that I had circled as, uh, I think it was somewhere in my top 10 most likely FCS over FBS upsets. Now seeing how Texas State is playing now, you know, don't feel as good about that. Also, JSU got beat up on pretty good by Florida A&M, which was, uh, you know, a surprising score. But Jackson State, You know, again, they lose their head coach to Colorado. They lose double digit transfers to the FBS. So they turn around and bring in like 27 FBS transfers and like five to seven more FCS transfers and so there's a lot of roster overhaul overhaul at Jackson State but they're still recruiting very well they still had a top two recruiting class in the FCS this last year they have a ton of former three or four star guys coming from the power five to the FCS now of course there's a reason they didn't play at the power five and they're at the FCS now but Jackson State is still a very talented team Uh, Texas State is playing better than expected but I, I still think this could be a game that we look at at halftime or midway through the third quarter, and we go, okay, there, you know, there, there's a ball game going on here.
1: Sam, do you think this could be a bit of a, a high-scoring game? Just because I'm looking at Texas State's defense, they're in the bottom 20 for yards allowed per game in the FBS, and obviously their offense has been playing really well. I'm wondering if that could be a, a maybe a higher-scoring game than many might anticipate. You're thinking over. Yeah. Yes. Exactly.
2: Yeah, Jackson State can score. You know, Jason Brown, their quarterback, uh, he was a, a FCS sophomore all-American a few years ago, then he transferred to the Power 5. Back in the FCS now, he's playing well. Uh, Irv Mulligan, their are running back for Jackson State, uh, he's playing well. Uh, Jackson State has has a ton of receivers they can go to, so um yeah, I don't know a ton about Texas State's uh, defense, but it seems like JSU could, you know, put up some points in this one.
0: I'll add from my part here. Weaver State's actually the one I really like. Uh, and, and not necessarily because I think they're live in the game. Utah is obviously very good. But if you look at the first month of, of Utah's schedule, they open against Florida, super highly anticipated game. They go on the road to Baylor. Next week they have top 25 UCLA coming to town. And sandwiched in the middle of all that, they have little brother Weber State, the game you know they don't care about. This is the only game you think Weber State probably cares about in their September schedule. Hey, we want to go play a really good first half. We want to play a really good 60 minutes against these guys. Half of them probably wanted to go to Utah. It's one of those types of games where you know Utah's going to be a giant favorite, and Weber, as far as FCS teams go, is generally pretty good. Uh, Sam was talking about Sac State's trench play. Weber State generally has a pretty good defensive line. So I think this is a case where, obviously, Weber State's going to lose the game. But when you look at how many points they're going to get, how, many, how much advantage Utah's going to have to lay, I think the right side is going to end up being Weber plus all the points.
2: Chase, what wasn't this a matchup? It was either last year or two, two years, years ago. ago. I think it was this exact yep. same matchup, and Weber State was like a, 36 42, and a half, I think, yeah, thirty-six and a half. And you, you and I texted each other, we're like, oh, yeah. what? Thirty-six points? Really that's, that's a t- Weber State's going to lose, really but bad. they're going to cover that spread. So we'll, we'll see what the spread is for this one.
0: And that was another one that was like, and I don't think Utah was good as good then as they are now. Yeah, but it was. I think they, it was 36 and a half. They lost by like 22. It was never in danger of not covering. And I, I think this will be an even bigger number in kind of a similar scenario. Colton, I want to give you uh, one more shot here to talk G5. If you've got any, any non-FCS G5 looks that you like, I'm happy to happy to pass those on. I, I know I've got a couple that I've already talked about in another part of the episode.
1: Well, really it just in terms of, I, I'm not sure if I'm confident in any side of betting here, but the game that I'm really looking, looking forward to is Troy JMU. Colton's married to a
0: JMU girl. He's just scoring points with his wife right now.
1: I I am. I am. Absolutely. I have to, and, <laughs> and suck up to the host as well. Uh, that's, that's way less important. Honestly, <laughs> but no in in all honesty especially after the quarterback change uh to pull that that game off against uva the weather delay uh just super exciting game beginning to end very curious to see how gmu follows that up against a troy team that's been kind of one of if not the favorite to win the sun belt i'm yeah I'm, i'm very curious to see how that game goes i'm it's right now that the total is 47 and a half. I mean, I'm curious, Chase, what what do you like or where do you lean on that? I lean Troy. Uh, I, I think uh, JMU has been, I mean, through what I've seen
0: so far, through eight quarters, I think JMU has been massively overvalued. I think there's a reason this team, which has always been very good against the spread the last few years, very good at beating market expectations, has not really been close to covering either of these two spreads. And it, not because they're bad just because they're they're overhyped right now they are working in a new quarterback situation they've already got some some injuries piling up at some key positions especially on defense some depth at running back you've already lost so i, I just i think going on the road after the um, super emotional UVA win going to troy I'm not super confident that JMU is going to pull this out. I, I'm almost sure they're going to lose one of these September games. The, the run from now, the UVA game, through the end of the month when they play South Alabama, if they're 5-0, I'll be shocked. Um, so the problem is I, I'm not super high on Troy either. I think Troy's a bit overvalued as well. So that's why for me it's like I kind of want to bet against both of these teams. I'm not I'm not getting involved. If if I'm betting on a team that I I'm in, I'm invested in this weekend, it's going to be West Virginia against Pitt.
1: That that is kind of where I'm at with JMU is that I think there's going to be a little bit of a, a letdown in in a few aspects. So, sorry Sam, continue.
2: Chase one question for you uh that maybe some FCS followers uh, might be interested in. Is there such a thing right now as a JMU fan that wishes the Dukes were still in the FCS. Does, is there anyone out there that that is like, that exists that has that thought? Oh yeah, really? Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, and, and and it's it is a great topic that we'll have to talk about another time because yeah. I know you got another thing to get to. But it's, I think for the most part, especially now, especially now that we've seen. I don't know, 15 games or so. I, most of the JMU people have converted to, yes, this was the right move. I'm glad we're here. The games are exciting. We're getting top 25 votes. They were in the top 25 for a week last year. Like I think most people are invested. But there are still some holdouts that say, oh, cool, we get to go to the Gasparilla Bowl if we have a good season. That's so exciting. Oh, wait, we don't get to go to a bowl at all. Could be winning national championships. But instead – we're not bowl eligible to. Yeah, there's definitely some holdouts for sure. Uh, I just think they are wrong. I, I think at a certain point, and I, you know, I understand North Dakota State's challenges in this area. It's never as simple as, well, why don't you just go to FBS if you're so good? It's never that simple, especially for North Dakota State, who's geographically challenged in this. But at a certain point, when your program hits that level, let's challenge yourself against more like-minded programs. People that have, uh, especially in JMU's case, people that have, you know, equivalent levels of resources, the level of spending the JMU was doing versus the CAA was stupid. It was just dumb.
1: And to land in the Sun Belt, I think that's a really that was a really good match there. You talk about NDSU; they don't really have a good conference that they could go to. You know, there's a couple options, I guess, but the, you're you're begging the Mountain West to to allow you in at this point. So, but the Sun Belt it was such a good match for JMU that that I think that was the, a good time for the Dukes to move up.
2: I I, th- I think that's the, the the big part too is the Sun Belts uh, because you know to tie tie it into all three of us you know me you know going to ndsu and knowing the bison oh. fan base pretty well NDSU. I think NDSU fans are, a lot of them that want to go FBS, they're super jealous of James Madison. A lot of it has to do with the Sun Belt. Because if Jamie was in Conference USA right now, I think Bison fans would be saying, okay, you know, Conference USA is not very good. The value might be better than Conference USA. But because it's the Sun Belt and you have so many cooler rivalries, you know, NDSU fans are looking at that and saying, you know, we're kind of over the FCS. And to tie it to Colton, who lives in Bozeman where Montana State is, I've seen more and more Montana State fans saying, Again, Montana State has nowhere to go. They can't just say, let's go FBS, let's go. But even Montana State fans are kind of going, okay, you know, is, is the Mountain West going to have any openings anytime soon? Maybe maybe this is the time that the FCS just isn't for us anymore. And they're looking at teams like James Madison and going, well, you know, if JMU can do it, then, then maybe we can do that as well.
0: Montana State to the Pac-12? Can we can we report that?
2: I've, i have not kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sources tell me. I hear they're looking for teams.
2: I've heard Montana state fans say that seriously. Like, well, you know, the, the bios are too expensive for the mountain West uh, to go to the PAC 12. Why doesn't the PAC 12 just take like three big sky teams. And then in two years, take some mountain West teams. And I'm just like, that's, I don't know how to explain why that doesn't work, but that's just not, that's just not how it's going to work out.
1: Where to begin, where to begin. There's
0: a, ver- <laughs> there's a version of that where the PAC 12 rebrands to like, the Northwest conference or some Pacific Northwest conference. And they kind of mix and match with new teams. It's not totally nuts, but at the same, the, the the thing that you're speaking to, I think Sam is the, the legal and institutional challenges. You can't just draw it up and be like, do this. We're done. There's so many like institutional roadblocks to forming something like that, which is why I was always shocked to circle back to JMU and the Sunbelt. I was shocked any of that came together because JMU is I mean you guys are talking about the Sun Belt and how great of a landing spot it is. Yeah. That's true yeah. now, but 10 years ago, I mean look at what had to happen. The last time JMU was getting, you know, put into Sun Belt expansion rumors, that conference – I mean they had to kick teams out of that conference and like they had people drop out of that conference and go back to FCS and I mean just like crazy stuff happened for them to end up in this place where they do end up. It's basically a souped up FCS conference from 15 or 20 years ago, where you have app state and Georgia Southern and Georgia state and JMU and Marshall and old dominion. And like, yeah, it, it works awesome now, but I think the, I mean, just you needed preposterous luck and, and really good fortune and somebody that saw through all the bullshit and hypocrisy of, of the commercialization of college football to go hey, actually, let's do, instead of just chasing media markets, instead of adding Charlotte because they're in the Charlotte media market, isn't that brilliant? What if we just add good teams and good programs that have excited fan bases who will enjoy this and that the geography makes sense? And I think that is kind of a one-of-a-kind thing that's happening at FBS right now.
2: Have you heard of the Snow Belt Conference, Chase?
0: See, there you go. There you go
2: the snowbelt conference which is Idaho Weaver state That would work. North Dakota state, South Dakota state, Montana, Montana state. Snowbelt I
1: actually state. heard when I was covering Montana state that that was something that people in power were trying to pursue but it's not realistic for all the reasons that you've outlined, Sam. That the FBS as a collective isn't going to want a whole FCS conference to move up.
2: Yeah, you you can't just say these group of teams are going to go to the FBS. Also, even if those eight eight top 20 teams in the Midwest all form one FCS conference, that's super fun week to week. But all of a sudden, four of those fan bases are going to go, oh, crap, we can't make the playoffs anymore because we're five and six because we're playing really good teams. I kind of miss the big sky where we could go eight and three and make the playoffs. But now that we're playing all these top teams every week. So yeah, it's it's not going to happen, but it's it's fun to talk about. There's even a Snowbelt Conference Twitter account out there that like tweets out the standings and all that throughout the football season. That's pretty entertaining.
0: Sam and Colton, you guys want to plug anything before you get out of here?
2: Uh, heroesports.com is where you can find both of our our work, and I'm on Twitter at Sam Herder FCS.
1: Herosports.com, What an amazing website. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs>
0: There you go. Sam Herter and Colton Poole, both FCS and G5 aficionados and masterminds. Thank you both for coming on. All right. Thanks again to Sam and Colton for hopping on the show. You can check out some of their work at Hero Sports. I will leave some links in the show notes. couple more FCS notes. You know, we talked about dogs here. There's also a couple of just total smash spots. We don't have numbers yet for, but as soon as the numbers drop, I'm going to bet these. Auburn, lay the points against Samford, pretty much whatever the number is. I don't care. I think Auburn's pretty good. Texas Tech, 0-2, just looking for a get-right win. I don't know what the number's going to be against Tarleton, but I'm going to lay it. I think they're going to win by a lot. And then, of course, look out for those FCS dogs that I mentioned in my conversation with Sam and Colton. Really think there's some good stuff in there. That Weber State game, I mean, that number might be like 38, which... I would be so happy if they'd give me a 38 or a 38 and a half. Just way too many points. All right, this episode's going on long enough. Let's get out of here. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, check out all the relevant links in the show notes, some that I have already mentioned, some which I have not. You got my power rankings. You got national championship odds. You got Heisman odds. Lots of good stuff in there. If you are curious and want to read more about odds or anything else, I should also start leaving. Uh, maybe I'll leave like some some how to betting stuff if you're on the newer side to betting. If, if you're an experienced gambler and, and you know you listen to the show all the time, probably not for you. But if you're new and you know, you're looking for like a friendly how to, I've put some of those things together in the past. I'll make sure one is in the show notes for this episode and some episodes going forward. Lots of college football bets that I uh, that I handed out today. Lots of good stuff. I feel re- this is this is where I really groove week. Three through six is usually my really hot spot for college football betting, so feel good about a lot of the numbers we got out today. Looking forward to seeing how they turn out. NFL episode coming out tomorrow. I'll talk about my survivor pick, which is... It's a hot one. It's a hot one. That's all I'm going to say, but we're... I'm I'm taking a a little bit of a risk this week. We're going to see how it goes. Uh, And then, of course, I'll have my other NFL picks, parlays, teasers, all that stuff in the Thursday episode, as well as an odds breakdown for Thursday Night Football, Vikings at Eagles. Come back here tomorrow and check that out as well if you are an NFL better, or maybe you want to start thinking about NFL betting. Other than that, good luck with your bets. A lot of baseball still out on there, so if you're betting on that, best of luck. Until next time, take it easy.